Welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Hello and welcome to Fast Talk. I'm your host, Chris Case, joined yet again by the king of pain himself, Coach Trevor Connor. Riding on the gold standard Velotron in a lab and breathing into an uncomfortable face mask while a physiologist like our guest, Jared Berg, pokes your ear might not sound like a good time at all which is probably why Coach Connor can't get enough of it. But this week's show is about exactly that, physiological testing. The end result of a good test is a robust set of data specific to you, which can help you understand things like your true physiological training zones, how much carbohydrate you burn for a given effort, and just how well you can get up infamous climbs like Magnolia Road here in Boulder. Learning about your body's unique capacity for work is crucial as you prepare for races and work on pushing yourself to your full potential. Our guest, the aforementioned Jared Berg, the lead exercise physiologist at the University of Colorado Sports Medicine and Performance Center here in Boulder, is going to walk us through some of the most common performance tests, including the VO2 max test, the lactate test. He'll describe each protocol in detail, as well as its benefits. You're gonna learn what's the right test for you, You'll also learn the ins and outs of the various protocols and how to prepare yourself for the day of testing. We'll also discuss how to select a lab that will give you the most accurate data. Maybe, just maybe, you'll learn to pronounce a few new words you've never heard before. Ever heard of symorphosis? Can you say that? I know Coach Connor can. You'll learn why. Oh, and if you haven't seen it yet, Drop everything and check out the legendary bike racing movie, American Flyers. It's available on Amazon Prime for $2.99, which is probably too much, but hey, it's educational. You can't consider yourself a true cyclist, nor will you fully appreciate this episode until you've seen it. Finally, if things already sound a little different and you notice a lot better sound quality on this episode, that's because we have a new producer on the show. I can't believe it myself. Jana Martin has joined our team and we're incredibly excited about that. She comes to us with over a decade of podcast and television production experience. In other words, now that Trevor isn't allowed to touch his computer, the show is going to get better. But wait, there's more. Stay tuned for more exciting changes here at Fast Talk, a production of Fast Labs. We've got more shows, yes, in 2020. It will be the year when Fast Labs expands beyond Fast Talk. You know the names Colby Pierce and Grant Holicky, right? Well, expect more from them in the near future. Go to our website, www.fastlabs.com. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash realfast.labs. On Twitter at twitter.com slash fast underscore labs underscore real and on instagram at instagram.com slash fast dot labs now there are a lot of dashes dots underscores in there but let's hope you keep it straight and follow us as always send us your feedback and thoughts at fast talk at fast labs.com now get your chamois buttered Let's make you fast. Ready to take your training and racing to the next level? 
we're proud to introduce the Fast Labs Performance Experience Training Camps. Combining our devotion to science with our passion for sport, we've developed a world-class experience modeled after World Tour team camps, the likes of which are typically reserved for the most elite cyclists. Now, bringing it to you to help you gain a better understanding of the science of human performance. In partnership with the incredible staff at the University of Colorado Sports Medicine and Performance Center, we'll guide you through pro-caliber physiological testing, biomechanical analysis, and nutritional assessment. Throughout the camp, leading experts in sports science will present on the latest developments in their fields. Oh, and you'll also get to ride on the gorgeous mountain roads of Boulder with coach Trevor Connor and myself. Check out fastlabs.com, enter FASTLABS2020 as the discount code and receive $500 off a purchase at this Performance Experience Training Camp. Well, we're sitting down today in the beautiful University of Colorado Sports Medicine and Performance Center, world-class facility, beautiful jerseys hanging on the wall with signatures of famous riders. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff that happens in this place, and we're really happy to have Jared Berg with us. He's mentioned to me just before we started recording between 1,000 and 2,000 people you've tested on on physio- physiological testing with them. That's that's a lot of people. Yeah, it does feel like a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. So we're we're really happy to have you here today to talk about the values, the benefits. Some of the sort of the pros and cons, too, of physiological testing in a lab. So thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. So the thing that really surprised me is, Chris, you said, we need to do an episode on physiological testing. And I turned to you and I'm like, Chris, we've done like dozens. Mm-mm. And then we went through the episode that we've never actually done an episode just talking about the different types of physiological testing, what to know about it, how to, to get something good out of it. And we just talked about example of really bad physiological testing where I, I had a friend ask me to administer a test for him that his coach mailed to us. And it had a, it a lactate test, had a single finger pricker, <laughs> a bunch of vials that I just had to put a drop of blood in each vial, no fluid to preserve it, no cooling, and just mail it back to the coach. Yeah, that, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> a lot, a lot you of, do things uh, a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah, a lot of balls in the air there. Yeah, you know, it's pretty outstanding this place that I get that I get to work. I mean, to have even just things like like you know, fifteen twenty foot high ceilings with open windows facing the um, the front range where I feel like you see most test you know, videos of people doing um, lab testing, and it's like down in the basement of some you know clinic or hospital. We got just a pretty pretty nice spot, and we have uh, really great equipment. Yeah, everything is just really you know kind of well taken care of, and we uh, really enjoy being here. And so we're going to explain the basics of this different type of testing. But part of what I, I was getting at there is we're also going to tell you how to know when you're getting a good test, when you're getting a bad test. And, and that a lot of that really comes down to the details. I have not administered a thousand tests, but I've probably administered 50, 60. And I know the basics. I can do an okay test. Mm-hmm. I watch yeah. Jared do it and go, wow. That's when you kind of see this is this is an art form. 
Yeah, there's definitely an art to the science. It's um, it becomes a craft, and definitely been you know I feel like it's a constant practice. You're always learning. It's, uh, you're learning as you go, and and gaining more insight with every new athlete that you that you work with. Doing a test, I feel like I'm very lucky to have flexi- flexibility with how I administer a test. Right. I mean, when someone comes in, really, it's my job in the very beginning is to understand who they are and what they're looking for and what they need. So I was thinking about this last night and identified there's kind of four goals that you're trying to accomplish when you're you're doing any sort of testing, whether it's in the lab or, or for example, as you said, we had uh, Neil Henderson on the show a while ago talking about his protocol, which is now used by Sufferfest, which is that five second sprints, five minute effort, 20 minute effort, one minute effort, which I throw at my athletes just because they all cringe when they hear mm, it. It's a good one. It's yeah. it's not easy. <laughs> I've been doing that one with athletes for years. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I did it last week. It was not pleasant yep. <laughs> at all. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's similar to what yeah, maybe Cog, Coggin does yeah. too. He yep. is like, yes, he is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's there's a variety of out on the road. And I have heard some coaches saying these are so good, you don't really need to go into the lab. So we'll we'll dissect that. But let's first let me just kind of list these these four goals when you're doing testing. These are the things that you're trying to accomplish. And the, and the first and obvious is test your performance level. See where you are at. The next one is and this is one I love as a coach is determining your physiological strengths and weaknesses. For example, when I did my test, my five minute effort and my 20 minute effort were about the same. And my one minute wasn't much better because I am a pure threshold machine with absolutely no top end. So that kind of shows me my strengths and weaknesses versus I have some other athletes that will just absolutely crush that one minute, but can barely get through the 20 minute effort because they're, they're all anaerobic. The third goal is to determine target zones. What, what are the zones you want to train in? And the fourth goal is tracking your physiological changes or improvements over time. So this is where you keep repeating tests to see how you've improved, see where you're at versus the, the last time. These are the four goals of doing some sort of testing. And so I'm actually going to throw that back to you and talk about lab versus road what can you get on the road what what are these can you accomplish on the road what can you accomplish in the lab and are there things that you can only accomplish in the lab so i guess let's start off with like sort of that say if you're gonna do a 20 minute sort of ftp test right we'll just break down to that talk about that one right away you know your goal is to try to figure out what that um your functional threshold power is right and that is is defined as your best 60 minutes right? I think in most literature. So, you know, someone goes ahead and does a test, they score 290 watts, you know, and then what you're trying to do from there is take an arbitrary percent of that to predict what your FTP would be, or to assume what your FTP would be. You're really sort of learning is sort of, you're getting a performance number, you're sort of, you're, you're sort of seeing what you can do. Instead, um, in a physiology lab, we want to see how you did that effort, right? So that's the big difference. It's not just looking at what you did. It's looking at, you know, how you made those that workload happen. And so with when you start to do that, you can understand sort of what kind of athlete that person is. Like you sort of talked about yourself where you um, your threshold power is this. You went to do a one minute. It wasn't that much higher than what your, you know, 
your threshold power was, right? Where if someone's a more explosive sport athlete, right, they may be able to totally um, almost like smoke a 20-minute test. And then if you take if you give them an FTP, which is, I think they're a lot of times are doing like maybe 97 to 90% of your FTP or 20 minute test is your FTP. Well, if they, you put that person at 90, 97%, they're actually going to be way overshooting their, um, their FTP, right? And if they're, you're trying to create all your zones based off that, kind of go into one of your next goals, you, all your zones are going to be off. Your sweet spot's going to be off. Your, um, your, you know, LT1, VT1, or that, you know, baseline workload is going to be off. You get, you see that in a lab, what I might see with that, that more explosive sport athlete, I might see um, lactates are sort of ramping up uh, from the beginning. I don't see a real, you know, steady baseline. I might see just really high lactates. I might see two solid stages above threshold where that, that last um, lactate level is going to be somewhere like, you know, above 10 millimoles, right? If I did a VO2 max test, I might see via um, their lactate threshold at like low 80s or maybe even under 80% of their VO2 max, right? And that would, that would tell me that that person is a more explosive sport athlete. So the next time they go out to the field to do an FTP test, Right, they should be taking you know, maybe 90 or 92 percent of that number, not the 95 or 97 percent of that FTP to help them dial in. So they could do a, a test with me in the lab, and then they know how to how to in essence um, score their FTP better, and then they can get all their zones dialed in in the future consistently. So to use a visual, you can have two athletes that go out and do a 20-minute test mm-hmm. and get the exact same, same average power. But you can have an athlete like me who has very little anaerobic uh, energy stores. Yep. Yep. So I'm really producing that all that, that work aerobically. Mm-hmm. So for me, you could take that 97%, and that's mm-hmm. actually pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. You can have another athlete who actually can produce a lot of that power anaerobically. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have a strong aerobic engine, but they do have a very strong anaerobic engine. Yep. So they, they have the same average power as me, but because they're producing a lot of that work anaerobically, they have to do a much smaller multiplier. As exactly. You exactly. That could be a difference between 15 and 30 watts for that 290 watt individual. Right. right. And it's a concern because if you then give that athlete threshold work, let's say I'm coaching that athlete and said, go out and do four by 16 minutes at 97% of what you did that 20 minute test at, they're mm-hmm. going to die. And you're going to be training the wrong system. Right. Right. You're, you're going to be training what they're already good at, not training what they need to work on. So I love this metaphor that you use when I was talking to you about this about a year ago. Yeah. Um, you said that out. So think of it like a car yeah. on the road. Testing allows you to see the performance of the car. Mm-hmm. But the lab testing lets you look under the hood. Exactly. Exactly. Are they doing it with a new electric engine or they have a, you know, yeah. a, a diesel, you know, real low eco- economic or efficient internal combustion? Paolo Saldana, the founder of PowerWatts, ran a physiology lab at McGill University. So he knows a lot about testing. I asked him what he thinks the value of lab testing is. The more realistic laboratory testing is to what they're going to encounter in the real world, 
the closer it will approximate and the better you'll be able to make some, some, some estimates as to the capacity of the rider outside. But there's so many elements in bike racing, uh, not the least of which is, you know, just strategical initiatives or, or terrain changes and, and, and the duration of the events that are really difficult to, uh, to be able to say, because you score a certain amount on a particular laboratory test, call it a VO2 max or lactate threshold test or, you know, aerobic threshold, whatever you want to, to evaluate on a rider, it's really tough to make big conclusions from that. I think what you can do with laboratory testing is you can get a sense kind of like as a barometer to what the opportunity may be. And then you need, it's, it's kind of like, okay, we have a diamond that's stuck inside this rock. The laboratory test will tell you that there's a diamond in there, but you still have to carve away the rock to get to that diamond. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but that's kind of how I think of it. You, you get good numbers in the lab. It tells you a lot about the athlete physiologically, but that doesn't mean they can translate it into on-the-road performance. You're actually saying there's a real value to testing on the road that you couldn't get from the labs. You're, you're flipping this Absolutely. around. Absolutely. Yeah, there's huge value. In fact, I do a lot of testing on the road. You know, I mean, I test where the athlete is tested. Um, and the other thing I do is I, whenever I, I bring athletes into my center, um, I, I actually test them collectively. So I'll line up four national teamers or four elite world-class racers, and I will actually make them perform a particular test. For example, I have one that I call an anaerobic repeatability test where we, um, they, they ride their own bikes, they're on rollers with a cage around the roller, and they're all lined up in front of me, and I put the numbers on the board, and they start off two minutes on, two minutes off. I measure lactate after the minute recovery, uh, two minutes recovery into the halfway of that two minute recovery, I measure lactate, and they each start at the same time, and they all start at five watts per kilo, and they all do two minutes on, two minutes off, five watts per kilo. Two minutes on, two minutes off, 5.5 watts per kilo. Two minutes on, two minutes off, six watts per kilo. And they keep climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder. So what does that do? First of all, it measures repeatability, which, by the way, is one of the single biggest indicators of performance in a bicycle race. Doesn't matter what your VO2 max is. If you cannot repeat anaerobic efforts when the going gets tough and things get strung out, you're not going to win a lot of bike races. So... We, we, we introduce the concept of repeatability into the actual laboratory test where we measure lactate and power output and heart rate and perceived exertion. And we just make it so that it's a competitive event because in a laboratory, if you have one guy on a, I don't know, on a load ergometer or on a treadmill test or whatever you want to test them on, there's really nothing to stimulate that athlete other than their own internal willingness to do well, which probably 5% less than you would get if you pitted them against each other. And so I do a lot of that where I bring athletes in and I test them collectively and we get a lot more interesting data and we get a lot more out of the athlete from that. It's last man standing testing, I call it. Now back to our interview with physiologist Jared Berg. So, so you've been describing, Jared, some of these tests in the lab. You're talking about lactate concentrations ramping up and things like that. But there are probably a lot of people out there that aren't really familiar with laboratory testing. Um, they're not really familiar with sort of the result that you get from that test. So why don't we jump in there? Why don't we start talking about the different tests you can conduct 
in a laboratory setting. Probably the most familiar for people is that VO2 max test. They may have seen clips of this from American Flyers or, yeah, yeah. I don't know, other other movies out there in, in popular culture where people are in this lab, they've got the mask on, they're maybe people in the lab start cheering for them. They're mm -hmm. going really hard. They're yeah. sweating bullets, all this stuff. So go into that. T talk about what that test is and, and what it's looking for. And as we know, everything in American Flyers was hyper-realistic <laughs> and completely accurate, what including a bodybuilder Russian with a beard who's the top cyclist in the world. Yes. That, uh, was, that was... And he, Didn't he throw his banana at somebody? <laughs> <laughs> no, but the the, the villain yeah, does yes. try to. Yes, I'm, I'm ruining the movie here, but yeah. pushing somebody off the road with yeah. your chin. His, he, he Do you know how often I've done him. that in races? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I've heard stories about about Cavendish yeah. tried it a couple times. Did he? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. can see. Robbie it. McEwen did it too, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah. So yeah, you know, yeah. Start starting right off the bat with that VO2 max test. It's um, American Flyers was interesting because if you, you know, I, I'm looking at that and I see what they did and, and they used the, that was a standard Bruce protocol test, which is when you go to a doctor and you're going to do a stress test and with, with all the leads on for an ECG, they're going to, they almost often on a treadmill run you through this Bruce protocol test, which is such a weird test because like we like to at least have ramp ups sort of be consistent loads. Like, Hey, I'm going to, do a watt per key, watt per kilogram increase every, or half a watt per kilogram increase every five minutes or 25 watt increase every five minutes or whatever. Well, this would be like doing a 25 watt, a, a 30 watt, and then a 60 watt, and then a 25 watt. It's, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. And so it's really an, a weird protocol that um, I think they maybe designed it because it allowed them to keep the leads smoother by having them either walk or go to a run at a real steep incline. I don't know. <laughs> it's really, it's really, really interesting protocol. But well, it, if you're not yeah. doing it the way they did in American Flyers, then you're doing it wrong. Exactly, exactly. And I, I'm going to say to all of our listeners, if you have not saw, seen this movie, stop listening to this right now. <laughs> Go watch you it. You are not a true back. cyclist until yes. you have watched American Flyers. So tell us how it should be done in the lab. So VO2 max test, first thing you want, you're really going to want to do is make sure you get that uh, an accurate measurement of the person's weight. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because um, VO2 max can uh, both be absolute and relative. Weigh somebody in, and then you're going to get them on, on a bike or a treadmill, and you're going to start increasing workload every, say, we're, you know, every one minute or every two minutes. So we could do maybe six two minute stages, right? Starting at a really light workload and add 25 or 30 watts every stage mm -hmm. until that person reaches basically they they tap out and say hey on a scale of zero to ten this feels like a 10 i'm done or we see oxygen utilization stop increasing where it, it's going up it's going up very linear and at some point it will stop going up linear and it will just level off and start plateauing even dropping towards that last minute or so of the last stage and then well hey you're, you're not going to be able to use any more oxygen anything else you do is based off of you know all your anaerobic power you don't need to keep going one really important thing to point out about this test that i think sometimes people uh confuse an important metric is not how much oxygen you're breathing what we're actually measuring is oxygen consumption so it's yeah, how much your body is actually using yeah which is different 
you're, you're hooked up to this face mask. Yeah, yeah. And mask so on. it is measuring how much oxygen you are consuming. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's also measuring how much carbon dioxide you are exhaling. Yep, yep. And it's going to look at these ratios to determine a whole lot of really interesting things about what's going on. Exactly. With you. Yep. That's what, that's what you're doing. And, um, mm. the one thing I talk about a VO, with the VO2 max test that one thing I, I guess I don't like about it, it doesn't really mimic anything that you would do in sport. Whenever would, would you just sort of ramp up resistance every minute or two until you fail? Right. Usually like when we're riding a bike, we're holding resistance, you know, holding a workload for you know, five minutes or so, you know, 10 minutes or whatever straight. But with the VO2 max test, you're just like, you're trying to get up towards max, you know, just really quickly. This, it reminds me of a tractor pull. Like the, the farther you pull the tractor, the more it digs into the ground. You, have you ever yeah. seen the tractor pulls on TV? I, I haven't. No? no? Well, then this is a poor analogy, but, <laughs> yeah. but it, it, it is as soon as you start working, really driving. it, it increases the resistance effectively until you cannot pull any longer. This yeah. is a vehicle, not a yeah. human, but yeah. effectively a VO2 max is that same sort of thing. You go until you yeah. can't yeah. go any further. Exactly. What's interesting with this test though, even though it doesn't mimic anything you do in sport, it can really do an okay job at giving us all kinds of data that is similar that you would do with any other type of, um, of testing in the lab. Well, this is why it became the gold standard for for uh, for research mm -hmm. because you could get so much information from it. And they discovered this fantastic curve where you you see your oxygen consumption rise, 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 and then there's a certain point where it levels off, and that's why they call it VO two max. Yep. There's a point where you just can't yep. consume more oxygen, and that line correlates very well with your heart rate. Well, and the other thing too is there's actually been before that you get to that plateau, there is data that you will see where, hey, where do oxygen will sort of be rising gra or sort of almost um, at a baseline and then it starts to tick up. And then you also see a couple other metrics like um, you'll see the, the ventilation rate, the respiratory rate, breathing starts to tick up at a certain, at a certain location, right? Uh, and then you also see it's the partial pressure of oxygen, a uh, graph that we can, we can track on the, with the uh, metabolic cart that that starts to tick up at a certain spot. And those can be tagged really closely to where you would see, um, a baseline level lactate, right? And so you can do a VO2 max test in 15 minutes and come, you know, with maybe within five or 10% of where you might pick that person's lact first, um, LT one in, you know, a normal like um, lactate profile test. Right. So, so people on the show have heard us talk a lot about VT1, VT2, yeah, which so is ventilatory threshold yep. one, ventilatory threshold two, yep. which you find in a VO2 max test. So. Yep. And ventilatory threshold one should line up with lactate threshold one. Okay. And so in VT, ventilatory threshold two should line up with lactate threshold. You can get that information, which makes it really useful for for somebody who's not trained to do a long bike test like like you know like athletes like yourselves are, where you can get a good zone data for somebody in a, in a much shorter, mm. quicker test. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the other thing I like to talk about a VO two max is where it starts to get applicable to sport is when you get to that actual max number, right? What were the watts that you could hold? 
at your VO2 max, right? That becomes an important number for you to use even in a race situation, right? If you have a situation where you need to either bridge somebody who attacked on you in a road race or try to get some separation from somebody to know how many watts you have at VO2 max, how many watts you can hold for, you know, maybe four to eight minutes, right? To have that number, that's going to be useful. And also to have that sort of uh, max watts at max VO2 or your watts at max VO2, you can start to design training uh, protocols that can raise that, or you can maybe even get more watts at your max VO2 or raise your VO2 max. And so having that um, number to, for, to work on that specific metabolic marker is uh, very useful. And this is part of the reason we talked about Neil Henderson's test protocol. Uh, he has a five-minute effort in there. And oh, yeah. Yep. Part of the reason that that five minute is important, and Dr. Seiler's talked about it as a six minute effort, yeah. is because the power you can hold for about five, six minutes actually tends to match up pretty well with the power that you are at when you hit your VO2 max. Yeah, but, but now you know, here, what if it doesn't, right? And that, that gives you an opportunity to understand weakness. What if you're, you, you do like a, say a one minute ramp up to VO2 max, you get like, 425 watts right at that vo2 max and then you go to try to hold it for as long as you can and you only get three minutes therein lies an opportunity to start de- designing a training protocol that can maybe get you up to where you can hold that for five minutes therefore you, you made a weakness now a strength but knowing that vo2 max number helped you learn that and so that's where that vo2 max test can become you know really useful i think from a practical racing standpoint Chris, something that might not be clear to all our listeners that I know you're really excited about. Everybody who listens to us knows Fast Talk. Mm-hmm. But we now have Fast Labs, which is the business. Mm-hmm. And, and it, that was your title. Love the title. Thank you. <laughs> but it's we made that change because this is more now than just the podcast. Yeah, you know, the two of us, and particularly you with your exercise physiology sort of philosophy, have built something here. And and for a while, Fast Talk was our outlet for it. But what we're doing now, essentially, is turning that into a 3D experience where people can come and live that. This is the science of performance. We preach that all the time on Fast Talk. Now we've got a company called Fast Labs that we live it and we're gonna share that experience with other people. And one of the big elements that we've been excited about for a long time, uh, that's actually been in the work for years, are these performance training camps. We wanna have an experience that normally only world tour teams have, where you come to Boulder for four days and we do physiological testing, we do the full bike fit, we do Physimax testing on you. You get a ride in, in Boulder. Every night we're gonna have presentations by, by top experts on training, on nutrition, on all these different subjects. This is the sort of thing that, like, like we said, only a world tour team normally experiences. And, and we're excited about our ability to offer this to you, all of our listeners. Yeah, and I think it has pretty broad appeal, honestly. If you're really into performance, then you come here because you walk away with more tools in order to improve that in performance. 
If you are a science nerd and you really want to understand what's going on inside your body when you're doing intervals or when you're doing long rides, whatever the case may be, come to this camp and you'll have doors opened that you never thought possible that will tell you what's going on inside your body at a cellular level even. And if you're just a person that loves to ride bikes and wants to improve a little bit, wants to know more about that physiological side, that's great too. But maybe the destination is the place for you. Boulder is incredible for riding. That's why we live here, honestly. I was drawn here because of the cycling, the atmosphere, the roads. The, the, this place is incredible for that. So it appeals for all of those reasons and more. Go to our website, www.fastlabs.com. Check us out. We have three camps in 2020. One, the last few days of April, first few days of May. One in June and one in August. Check out fastlabs.com. Enter fastlabs2020 as the discount code and receive $500 off a purchase at this performance experience training camp. This is where you can talk about us humans and pronghorns and how we have overbuilt lungs. <laughs> humans and pronghorns are the only animals on the planet oh. that have overbuilt lungs, which actually allows us to handle altitude better than a lot of other animals. And isn't it true that like um, other animals, like a cheetah, has like uh, every like stride corresponds with a breath? I think I read that somewhere. That's quite possible. <laughs> in, in, so. in the mechanics so. of the stride, right. it like yeah. causes like the mechanics of breath. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, so okay, we'll we'll go down this this tangent. I can never. I had to give a whole presentation on this, and I can't pronounce this word. It's a uh, simophorsis. Oh no! Yeah. Yeah. Can you give me the correct pronunciation here? I cannot say it. No, no I can't either. The, the night before the presentation, I sat there in the mirror, like doing what you see actors doing, trying to prepare, like get my mouth <laughs> moving to correctly say this. And I still only got it half the time in this presentation. But the this concept is nature designed us to be very efficient. So there's no point if you have a chain so oxygen consumption, first you have to breathe in air, then the heart has to, so then it, you, your blood has to take up that oxygen, your heart has to pump it to the working tissues, and the tissues have to take the oxygen out of the blood to use it. These are all the steps of, of oxygen consumption. It's not just breathing, there's, there's multiple, multiple steps. And the idea here is there's no point having one, one of those steps being overbuilt relative to the others because then it's just inefficiency. Yeah. So the this idea of simophorsis, that was actually, I think, pretty close. <laughs> we'll um, check that after the th show. This, this idea is that all of these different steps are actually equally built. And in most animals, that is true. It's not true in humans and pronghorns. Our lungs are overbuilt for that process. We can always breathe in more oxygen than we, need, yeah. than we can consume. So I always find it funny when you see all these people talking about figuring out ways to breathe in more oxygen. It's like, that's actually not a problem at all. No. It only becomes a problem at altitude. Once you start getting up to higher and higher altitudes, then you actually have problems breathing in gotcha. more yep. air. And pronghorns are an altitude adapted animal. Simorphosis. Siri says, Simorphosis. So, Chris, just say that word. 
and then we'll and what we'll do in. is every time I'm talking, we'll just you'll suddenly have Chris. Symorphosis. Back to the show. Now that we've totally butchered VO2max. So anybody out there who understood VO2max, congratulations. You don't understand it anymore. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Is this a valuable test for your, your typical cyclist who's trying to see under the hood of their physiology? What is valuable about this test? What is not? Using it the right way, it's a valuable test, right? You, when, I, when I talked about using it to find your watts at vo2 max right your power at vo2 max and your max heart rate that can be very useful information trying to train your body to enhance what it can do at vo2 max is very useful in a training protocol right trying to use it to pin your your training zones and your um physiological inflection points there is a better way to do it right i, I guess and, and we'll be going into that next so, so I had the best when I lived in Ithaca, New York, and I might have already told this story, but I had the best protocol ever for figuring out max heart rate. It was actually designed by my friend Glenn Swan when people would ask us how to figure this out and this yeah. before anybody yeah. had power meters. We would tell them to go and climb this road called Buffalo Street. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they'd always be like, well, should I be time trialing it? How should I take it? Just, just get go, up it. <laughs> just go climb it. And this is this super steep 15-minute climb. Okay. And so just to get up it, you have to go pretty hard. But about halfway up, there's this absolutely dilapidated house with like five cars on cinder blocks. Yeah, with a dog. Two 110-pound yard dogs. I knew that right away. And they are yeah. not on leashes. They come out barking <laughs> in a way that you know they are going to eat you. This and is another American flyer reference. And he's a real here. son of a bitch, right? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, that is an American flyer. We, we got American flyers seem good, but we honestly would do this. People, people would come back. So Glenn owned a shop. People would come back to the shop just furious with us. Like, <laughs> why do you do that? Those dogs were going to kill me. And we're like, were you recording your heart rate? Yeah. Did you see the highest heart rate you've ever seen? Hell yeah. Well, there's your max heart rate. Because <laughs> <laughs> that happened to me on Magnolia. Did, on Magnolia? Yeah, Magnolia. Oh, that would hurt. That is not a classic spot. I mean, not everyone, the dog, I don't think it was just a couple different times, but I was getting ready to go up the very, the, the last sort of steep pitch, mm -hmm. right? You already mm -hmm. got over the real grunt of it and you had the false flat. Oh, the one with and, the turn? Yeah. And then, then you, that one where you had first turn and big switch back to the right, I was getting ready to go up oh. that guy and a, in a, in a, in a um, dog came right barreling after me. I'm like, I thought I was tired, but no, now I put another <laughs> for, gear. For those who don't know, Magnolia is a sinister yeah, uh, climb with some very steep pitches at altitude and throw a dog in the mix. That's nasty. I, that is, yeah. I call it my staircase to elevation. <laughs> so, so pre Strava, there was actually a website where people used to debate what were the hardest climbs mm -hmm. in North America. And had a listing of a lot of the clients. And generally, yeah, it was uh, Mount Washington out in, yep. in New Hampshire yep. that, that won. But Magnolia was always on the list of the top three. Yep. It is just a brute. Yeah, Magnolia spits you out before you're done with 10 minutes, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, right. Yep. You don't want to go hard too early on that thing. It's important for a VO2 max test to be relatively short. Otherwise, you're going to fatigue before you hit your true max. So... It's a pretty quick ramp. I've actually done VO2 max tests where the wattage just continually rises. You, it, it, you never hold it at a level. Um, most of the VO2 max tests I do, you increase the wattage every minute. So it ramps up quick. You actually don't want to do that with a good lactate test. So to use an example, 
you have an athlete in being tested, let's say they're at the stage where they're doing 180 watts and their lactates are at 1.8 millimoles, then you bump them up to say 205, so 25 watt increase. You're not going to see a big change in lactates right away. It's going to take a few minutes for the lactates to catch up and plateau for whatever that level is. When you're below threshold, lactates will generally plateau. Above threshold, no, they're, they're not going to plateau. Um, but you need time for it to, to increase and stabilize. I know your opinion on this. I completely agree with you. There's a lot of lactate tests out there that use three-minute stages, but I don't think that's enough for a lot of people for their lactates to plateau. You use a five-minute protocol, which seems like a, a, a good kind of middle ground where you're not going to completely destroy the athlete with these really long stages, but it gives enough time for the lactates to level out. Just to give our listeners an idea, some world tour teams do 10-minute stages. So just picture this poor world tour athlete on a bike where once they're, they're getting up to high wattages, they have to spend 10 minutes at, say, 275 watts, then 10 minutes at 300 watts, 10 minutes at 325. That can be a long test. For them, the, the test can go well over an hour. Most of us don't have to deal with a lactate test that long, but they are certainly going to be longer than the 12 to 14 minutes you, you want to for a VO2 max test. And when you're doing this protocol, the, the tester is going to take your lactates towards the end of each stage to, to hopefully get a good, accurate lactate measurement for that stage. Lactate's a byproduct of carbohydrate metabolism, right? So when we metabolize carbohydrate, um, lactate is, you know, is a byproduct that we'll, that we'll get. It's actually interesting because it's it's just like carbohydrate. It's still a substrate. Lactate is broken down. I mean, carbohydrates broken down into pyruvate and lactate. Both are can be metabolized in the um, used the as sources of energy. And yeah, yeah, metabolized and uses energy. Give us ATPs, and ATPs is sort of the end currency of energy that helps make muscles contract. What about the protocol? Okay, can you describe that for us? So, okay, protocol would be um, it's crucial to you want to see as much as you can see right? And you want to see how the body responds to very low workloads, right? Because sometimes, you know, some people, whenever they get on a bike or get off for a run, it's working out and they're, and it's, it's intense and, and they start showing that response and, and lactate start going up, you know, like crazy. And so what we want to do is we want, we want to see where are lactates really low? Where are they at baseline levels? And I say baseline levels, that's, similar to where we are at rest, like all of us sitting here talking here in this podcast, we're hopefully have lactates, you know, somewhere around a millimole to a millimole and a half or so. Okay. Well, when you're exercising and you're using the systems in your body that are really good at, um, at metabolizing fats, metabolizing carbohydrates aerobically, clearing and utilizing lactate, our, we can exercise with resting baseline level lactates. Mm -hmm. So ideally, if we can see that in a lactate profile test, right, we started the test at a low enough intensity, right? The first stage or two, possibly three for, you know, guys like you getting ready for the dirty Kanza and stuff like that. Maybe, you know, we undersh undershot you in four stages later, your lactate hasn't budged because you can handle so much work and still um, metabolize clear lactate, still use fats. 
And when you okay. say stages, you're talking about a specific uh, power output mm-hmm. for a certain given given amount of time. That's yes. what you mean by stages. Yeah. So say if we started out, we'll use absolute watts for simplicity. You started you out at, um, you know, 170 watts doing 30 watt jumps, right? You know, at 170, it's 1.2 millimoles of lactate. At 200, we're seeing 1.3. And then at 230, it's still 1.3, right? And then finally, at 260, right, we're up to, we see a 1.8 right? That's starting to see a rise in, in lactate. And that sort of uh, would also correspond with a ventrally threshold one or a um, lactate threshold one when it first starts to hit that rise. And you're getting the lactate concentrations by just pricking someone's finger or ear, yep. getting a small blood sample, and putting it into a device kicks out a number for you. Exactly. It's that, it's that, it's that simple. Yep. And then, uh, and then we'll see lactate start to rise a little bit when it's on that gradual rise and not, not real steep yet. Right. It might go from 1.8 to 2.6 to, you know, maybe a 3.3. Right. So it's just going up consistently by like, you know, maybe like 0.7 millimoles per Mm -hmm. stage. Right. That's a sign when it's, when it's going up gradually like that, that we are, we're doing aerobic glycolysis We're we're metabolizing, um, carbohydrates still and we're um aerobically and we're also able to keep up with that lactate right then it at somewhere at maybe at between like 3.3 and 4 millimoles it takes a big jump right it, it goes up to like five or five and a half six by or six millimoles maybe a millimole and a half to two millimole jump right that's a sign that we moved from that aerobic glycolysis to the anaerobic glycolysis and now we're um, starting to really produce more lactate than our bodies can keep up with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right and that's and that would be a, a lactate threshold spot that would be similar to what we would do for an ftp right uh, i would say it's probably lactate threshold i feel like is someone someone could hold between an hour and an hour and 15 minutes mm-hmm, right right and then um, more, you know, depending on the athlete. And so then we sort of will want to take that person at least one stage above threshold. Why? Because it helps us really round off that curve, see that inflection point, right? If we go any far above that, that's more like trying to profile the athlete, right? If they can go two stages above, above lactate threshold, now they're showing more like that explosive sport athlete with more fast twitch muscle fibers. Okay, so that's what we can get with a lactate profile test. So one of the really important things I want to point out here is, again, going back, we talked about Neil Henderson's protocol, and there's a lot of different protocols for out on the road. Mm -hmm. But when you look at a protocol that has a five-second, one-minute, five-minute, 20-minute effort, Mm -hmm. all of those efforts are looking at things that are threshold or above. Yes, you're every one looking, of them are. Right. You're not looking at anything below threshold. And what I love about a lactate test, and especially sitting down, I've, I've always loved sitting down with you when you test one of my athletes and looking at the results, you see a ton of what's going on with that athlete below threshold. We do. Yeah, that's where I feel like the most insightful information is right. gained. We'll even do uh, with with some of our you know, longer, more established endurance athletes, experienced endurance athletes will have them do a 10 minute stage just below threshold right is it's not a true you know what we call mssl maximum steady state lactate 
test, right? But at 10 minutes, we can see if someone um, is, you know, like, like I said, was like, you know, 2.8 millimoles at five minutes, what 10 minutes, they're, you know, 3.8 or four, we got a pretty good indication that they're not below threshold when they're hitting that workload, right? They're right on that tipping point. So that gave us information where we might've just said, oh no, 2.8 was below threshold, where we actually realized that, you know, you give them seven, eight minutes, thresh, that their lactate starts to tip, mm-hmm. right? So you can get really, um, yeah, with that longer stage, we can really get in, in some, some good insight into how their body is dealing with that specific work. But that, that shape of that curve, like I said, it, it tells you so much. So to give you a, a simple example, you have a, a pure aerobic athlete like me, my curve, so I'll, I'll start at like point zero, you know, 0.8 yeah. lactate level. And you just see me sit there flat, 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 flat. You know, I keep going. St- and then it barely rises. And barely rises. It's just this flat line. And all of a sudden I hit a point, it goes up and I last like two stages. Yeah, you know, I, I die quickly. And so that's very reflective of the type of rider I am. I can ride steady at, at pretty high wattages. Mm-hmm. But as soon as the attacks happen in races, I struggle. I just have very, very little top end. Yeah. Where I brought in athletes to you who have a good anaerobic system or very underdeveloped aerobically. Mm-hmm. And you see they start at one and like by the second stage, you're already starting to see a, a slight rise. You never really even see it that level. Yeah, and it's just kind of this gradual rise, and then they hit a point where it it, it it spikes up. But they even at low wattages have a hard time maintaining low lactate levels. Yeah, that tells you a ton, and that is not something you can't tell somebody. Let's go out and do an on the road test. We'll go and ride five hours. Yeah, and and let's see what you're you're you know it, it's 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 much much harder to do than a good twenty minute test. Yeah. So I will mention actually Dr. Seiler right now is working on an experiment to figure out ways to see the 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 this lower profile to determine that um that LT1 in athletes on the road, but it's tough. So the so for the people out there that are like, okay, so what? What is the value of knowing as you put it the shape of the curve, but also just how well, you're able to utilize the aerobic system and keep lactate levels low at those those lower powers. Great, yeah, great question. What, what's what's the value there in knowing that information? So, the most useful thing you can get from a, a lactate profile test is is appropriate training intensities. So, when you find out what your um, where your lactate first starts to move from baseline. Right, you train just above that intensity where you're trying to challenge it a little bit. You're going to be training your type one muscle fibers, right? And those muscle fibers are the fibers that have the most sort of mitochondrial density, right? And they can metabolize fat, they can metabolize carbohydrates, and and they can also clear lactate, right? If you find that spot and when you start to challenge those muscle fibers, they start to develop and and be able to. Um, build up their mitochondrial density so they can actually you can actually make mitochondria mitochondrial biogenesis right and improve the function of of those energy factories the mitochondria right and then you can also get more um capillary perfusion to the mitochondria so you can increase the amount of oxygen you can distribute to those to those um muscle fibers and then also um how much 
basically food stuff, um, you know, like getting the, getting the, um, the carbohydrates and the fats into the, into the cell too. So those are all things that are increased. You find the, the maximum capacity of those fibers, they start to develop and do that. If you're a little bit below that, they, just, they do it, but not as well. Mm-hmm. If you're a little bit above that, you're not gonna be able to go long enough to really challenge them, mm-hmm. right? So you, so you find that key spot, you can really start honing in on, you know, a two, a consistent one hour workout, a two work, hour workout, even a four or five hour workout, a ride, where you can start to just really get those muscle fibers to, to, uh, to do more and to be able to, uh, yeah, give, give you more work for. So another way to think of this is I've talked actually to even world tour pros who, who have said this and it's actually remarkable how consistently, uh, or how often I've heard pros say this where they go, I don't get why so many athletes focus on that one minute, that five minute power and how high they can get that. Yeah. Um, they'll point out that most masters and amateur athletes can get pretty close to where they can get in terms of a one minute, a five minute power. They go, that's mm-hmm. not oh, yeah. really yeah. what differentiates the pros. The difference where you really see it is if you're in a, a, several hour race, like say a three, four hour race, and you're all sitting there at 280 Watts for a top level pro, their lactate levels aren't breaking one. Right. Yeah. For an amateur, they're very quickly going to be at four or five millimoles and pretty much riding threshold. And that's going to kill them. And after a couple hours of that, it doesn't matter what sort of one minute, five minute power you can put out because that amateur no, rider is done. You're not yeah. even in the race. Yeah, yeah. The pro is effectively sitting on the couch. Like yeah. you were saying, their, their, their profile looks like they would be if they were lounging. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so they are, they're saving themselves. They're saving all of their quote bullets for mm-hmm. the time when it's makes yeah. the difference. And, and how do they do that? It's interesting. If we did core samples, if we went and did a biopsy of each one of those, those quadriceps of the amateur and the, um, the novice compared to the pro, you would see a significant different difference in mitochondrial density um, in each, each core sample. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Samalan did an amazing table of this where he looked at what sort of lactates were sustainable by athletes of different levels. Uh, and one of the things that he showed and, and your jaw is going to drop when you do these calculations to be a world tour level rider, you have to be able to sustain. So we're talking about, this is your, LT1, that lower threshold or below where you are purely aerobic, mm-hmm. your, your lactates are sitting at that, that just base level. You need to be able to, to sit at about 4.5 watts per kilogram. Right. Which is probably what, what a cat three does for max at 15 a, minutes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So you, you do the calculation, you take a, a stand, let's say 70 kilogram male. So what's 70 times 4.5? That's three, a little over 300 watts. Yeah, 320 or so. That's <laughs> high wattage. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Your, your world, so your Tour de France level riders, they can yeah. sit there in a five-hour race. I think they're, yeah, I think they're doing that. At an, I think it was in that graph, I remember, right? They're under two millimoles at that point. Is, yep. it, there, is it their like baseline? Wrestling? Not quite baseline. I should no, say it's under two millimoles. They're under two millimoles, though. And that, and that is, that is I, yeah, I see that pretty cool yeah so four sorry it was 4.5 for the aerobic threshold and aerobic threshold tends to be right around that that two millimoles which is just 
Yeah. Astounding. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of work for a little effort. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So if a world-class rider, world tour rider tried to take on an amateur, they're not going to wait for that five minute climb to see who can, you know, the world tour rider probably win that five minute climb too, but they're not even going to wait. They're just going to sit there and go, let's ramp this up to 320 Watts and see how long you can sit with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your, your five minute effort isn't going to be any good after, you know, being above threshold for 15 minutes. And that's to me, one of the great values of this lactate test is you can see that curve. You can see that lower, what is sustainable for you? At what point do your lactates just start going up and you're on a, a, a real time limit? Mm-hmm. And it's, so I, you always talk to me about this, about pushing the curve, right? Yeah. Moving it further and further, right? Before that curve starts to kick up is one of the most valuable things yeah. you can do. And then, yeah. yeah. Being able to target that and work on that because I, I would assume that a lot of people you see in the lab, that is one of their weaknesses. Yeah. They're off. They're like, you know, they've been using some, that, um, zone or intensity that targets that they're off by like five or 10 beats per minute or Mm. 10 to 15 Watts, which is significant. Right. It's, it's enough where you're, where you're, where you're doing you're right in Actually, I mean, if you go back, you talked about Siler and, and I followed the same sort of training principle is you want to get 80% of your training right there. Mm-hmm. All right. To 80% of training is a lot of time. You don't want to waste that time. Yeah. Right. You want to get the most out of that, out of that time you spend it, uh, you put in. So hitting that, um, getting it dialed in right is crucial. And it's something you're not going to be able to do as well if you're trying to just predict it a certain percentage right. off of a FTP number that you did out in the, um, on the road. Yeah, exactly. So another thing you see often in the lactate curve is people trying to determine what their aerobic threshold is. And so again, when we're talking about polarized training, what we're, we're saying you have that, that aerobic threshold, which is around, you know, right around or a little below two millimoles. And then you have your anaerobic threshold, and both of these are very clear on a, a lactate graph. And so 80% of your training, like you said, is is below you know, at or below that aerobic threshold. Yep. And then 20, you know, 15, 20% is a, at or above uh, your lactate threshold. And I've seen a lot of athletes who dramatically overestimate that aerobic threshold. Yep. And and you 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 might please tell me I'm totally wrong in this. But what I've tended to see there is because they're training a little above that aerobic threshold in that, that middle zone, yep. you, you see that standard shape curve, you see them hit that aerobic threshold, and then you get kind of this bump yeah, where, where you it don't just get this, levels off. Yeah, you, you, you get two points that are the same. Yeah. And then it keeps going back up. And that's when you see that somebody's been training in that, that middle right. zone. It happens often. Yeah, I do see that quite a bit where it does, you can almost get a little false, false flat. Yep. Right. And the other, the other key point we talked about this, we definitely hit this um, aerobic threshold, you know, LT1, VT1, anaerobic threshold or lactate threshold, right? LT2, VT2. That's a key spot where if we just train under that threshold, we can really develop those intermediate muscle fiber types to build up their mitochondrial capacity and their ability to, to clear and recycle lactate. Uh, and it's one of those situations where we can try to get those muscle fibers to adapt and do the most that they can without having to ask the fast switch muscle fibers to help out. And it becomes a really good sort of that climbing tempo, that long sustained sort of what can I do for, 
you know, 60 to 90, even two hours. And it's, you get a good rhythm, it's comfortably hard, and you're building up capacity of a specific muscle fiber type that can really um, can clear, utilize lactate, give you an even a higher sort of launching platform for these even those bigger efforts. Another thing I'll bring up, and again, Jared, very interesting whether you agree with this or not, um, but this is at least something that I've noticed with athletes is when, again, when you're talking about the shape of the, uh, the lactate curve. Um, so once you hit that aerobic threshold, then you, you start to see the, the curve spike up or, or, or kind of very rapidly you start yeah. pointing upwards. Uh, how would you describe that? Ramping Just up. Ramping up. Thank yeah. you. High intensity work can affect the shape um, once it starts in, inflecting up. But let's just talk right now about a scenario where you keep high intensity work consistent. What I have noticed is, and this is the reason I think this 80% low intensity is so important. We talked about pushing the curve right. Um, I find when athletes do very effective endurance work, very effective, uh, that, that 80% in the polarized model, it pushes the curve right. But as long as the high intensity work is staying the same, the curve, once it starts to inflect up, stays the same shape. Yeah, yeah, it just happens at higher workloads. Mm -hmm. Right, and that's why that low-intensity work is so important. Everybody focuses on the high-intensity, and you go, right, now you've changed the shape of that inflection, but it, you're still seeing the inflection at the same point. Right, yep. You need the low-intensity to push the curve right, to have that, sh that inflection at a yeah. higher level. yeah. But if some, yeah, like you were saying, those on the contrary, if someone doesn't do the high end work at the same, you know, if they're not getting that 20% of sort of high end work sub threshold and, and above, then yeah, then we start to see that curve just doesn't, the lactate doesn't go as high anymore. And it sort of like kind of looks blunt, looks a little bit blunted. blunted, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, which, you know, you got, you got to do everything, just, just the <laughs> yeah. right amounts of everything. Exactly. And that's exactly what we're talking about. This test helps you understand. Right. more closely predict what that everything should look like yes. when it comes yeah. to training load. Well Whereas said. if you're out on the road, there are some assumptions you're making, more assumptions that you're having to make to, in order to predict that load. Yeah. And this is also, we were talking about the VO2 max versus lactate test and, and we're getting into which, what is the value of each. I tend to always have my athletes do a, a lactate test and not the VO2 max test. And, Part of the reason is exactly what we're talking about. I actually think that that Neil Henderson test protocol is very effective for seeing what's going on above uh, above threshold. You you can find out a lot from that out on the road. Yeah, but it really doesn't tell you anything about what's going on below. Yeah. And that the only way I have ever found to really see what's going on with that aerobic engine below threshold in an athlete is doing a lactate test, and so that's why I prefer it. And when we get to that, well, what about VO to max, all that? I'm like, that'd be great. It'd be nice if we could do yeah, both, it's useful, but yeah. I can get most of that information out yeah. on the road. Unless you had an athlete where you're like, you know, I, I know we have everything dialed for, for, you know, sub threshold and, you know, your aerobic, but what about, I have unanswered questions about VO to max and maybe we're missing something, sure. but that's probably for you, maybe less, less than 5% of your, of your, of, right. group of people you work with. Dr. Sierra O'Grady is the performance coach and physiologist with Team Dimension Data. He gives his thoughts on VO2 max testing versus lactate testing. 
somebody's going to pay to go and get tested, what's your, and we're talking about cyclists here, amateur cyclists, what's your feeling of doing a VO2 max test versus doing a, a lactate test? Um, I would say they, they both have their, their, their strengths and weaknesses. Um, it depends. It would depend on what your what your focus is. So if, if you're looking to to quantify your your sort of submax performance and, and really get a get an idea of where your your first and second lactate thresholds are and and then training to improve that. So some some of the riders that I would do um, you know schedule schedule lactate threshold tests over the winter where we might see you know more endurance based changes um, and then and then the VO2 max tests when we want to see it you know is there any improvement in that that high end. Um, you know, top end performance. Um, but for me, it's, I'm, you know, I would look at, look at VO2 max as a sort of secondary um, value actually. And it's, it's more, you know, peak power output um, from, uh, from the ramp test that I, you know, is one of the big factors that I will look at when, when I am planning those, those high intensity blocks. And I do want to see their, their high intensity performance come up. Um, so I would say, yeah, they both, they both have their, their, their strengths and weaknesses. The the weakness of, of the lactate threshold is is that it's very difficult to then get an a, get a, a, a high intensity bit. So you're kind of just capturing that low intensity. There are some um, hybrid um, ramp protocols that you use. Um, so you, you do the um, sort of slow ramp at the beginning, and then and then once you hit that threshold point, whether you use four millimole or one of the other markers, um, then go up into a much more of a steeper incline to to get you know, an MMP or a VO2 max from, from that. Now back to our interview with physiologist Jared Berg. All right. Well, what about combining some of these things into a single test or making a hybrid test? There, there's probably different options there, and, and maybe you could describe some of those options. Well, first off, you, we talked about the lactate test, but when you, you can take a la basic lactate test and combine put a, the mask on the individual and look at metabolic information and you can really gain a lot of useful data from that. Once you start to combine, you start to get fuel utilization. You understand, you know, the same exact protocol. You can understand how much, how much fat versus carbohydrates somebody's burning. Where's their fat max, their maximum ability to use fat and how, how far does that go out into their, um, into higher workloads? Where does fat start to drop off? You'll you'll really, you know, usually see a fat drop off when lactate starts to, to rise. Okay. How much carbohydrates are, is somebody burning at each individual stage? It's very useful to, Hey, you know, where's my maximum steady state lactate that sub threshold, um, workload. Well, how many calories am I burning of carbohydrate? Then you start modeling out what you need to pack in your Jersey when you're out there for, you know, these longer, races yeah that, that was one of the powerful things that i did before doing dirty kanza was a metabolic test which allowed me to understand how much carbohydrate i was burning at a given um intensity knowing that the race was going to be uh say 13 hours long yep i knew i was going to probably average x number of watts or heart rate that sort of thing could predict how much I needed to consume to replenish myself, which I got to say for a lot of people, one of the hardest parts about these ultra endurance events is understanding nutrition, how much they need, 
when to get it, how to get it, those types of things. It's yeah. it's difficult. You're having to consume a lot on the bike and and that can lead to other issues that we've addressed in other episodes of the, this podcast. But if you're able to pinpoint a number, yeah. you're not going under that. So you're not going to bonk six hours into halfway yeah. through this race. You're not over consuming it, which could lead you to have GI distress and things like that. You're, yeah. you're giving yourself a really valuable piece of information to make some of these really long events. And it's not just for long events, yeah. but I think particularly for these long events, a really critical piece of information. It certainly is. And I think I, I like to use this kind of uh, example where I, I get I get the opportunity to work with um, a lot of the top professional Ironman athletes in the world, like guys and girls who finished top 10 in Hawaii and mm-hmm. for the at the world championships. And I one of the things I say is, you know, this uh, the amount of work that you guys can do, the amount of watts that you can put out, right? And unfortunately, the amount of carbohydrates that you're burning, right? It's no longer a race. This is an eating contest. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right? I mean, if you your body can it's do- It's not hot dogs and no. it's not Joey, what's his face? In my lab, what I see- I, It is. I totally understand why they can go under eight hours for an Ironman. I get it because of how much, how much work they can do. But how can they fuel their body to do that? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. And the other thing, we can go back to, you know, some of us aren't going to be doing five-hour rides or, you know, 200-mile Dirty Kanza. Um, we're just going to be doing, you know, one-hour rides or, you know, 90 minutes. Well, we don't need to worry so much about replacing carbohydrates during the ride to get through it. But if we can understand how many carbohydrates and fats and total calories we burn and maybe weight management is a concern. Mm-hmm. We can start to understand how many carbohydrates we need to replace after a workout to effectively recover, but still maybe give us a, a net loss in calories to help with the weight loss goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go through a succinct uh, description of a hybrid protocol. Starting off, you'd, um, you'd be doing a lactate test and you'd be doing that test i like to do it with where you're looking at lactates and looking at the uh, metabolic mm-hmm. um, data okay so have a mask on the individual right you'd ramp that person up through they could be doing five minute stages right maybe we you know if it's um, a hybrid i'd probably be less inclined to do that sort of 10 minute um mssl the maximum steady state lactate sort of glimpse sure. right so that way we can get them to threshold a little bit quicker so that way we're not on the bike for so long and then one idea for a hybrid is you you would then get to threshold maybe just a little bit above threshold for just a few minutes to sort of get that curve and then we'll just stop that test let them cool and they're not they're gonna be like oh that was hard but not too hard right and then we let them rest a little bit take the mask off and just spin it out and then we um after maybe 10, 20 minutes, put the mask back on. And then we do a one minute, a one minute ramp up starting a little bit below threshold so not way down easy again mm-hmm. and just take them up to VO2 max, mm. right? That would be an example of doing a test where we do a, a lactate threshold, get metabolic information, even calories. So it's like a full physiology test. Plus we- um, That's throwing the whole- The whole enchilada. Shebang at them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's one way. Or we could just do a standard protocol and then get to the edge, end of the test or get, get above threshold, but only do that three minute stage like I talked about and then take them to some one minutes real quick and ramp them up to max. So I have a question for you. 
because a lot of people are going to try to find a lab near them. And the, the quality of labs can really vary from, from area to area. And I mm-hmm. gave that example of a friend who asked me to administer his coach's test where I would just mailed vials and one fingerprint. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. pretty much everything possible that you could do wrong. Um, what are things... So first of all, I'm going to say, if you are going to do a test contact the lab, ask them their protocol yep. before you, you pay the money and yep. go there. Yeah. If, I, this, if, there, if the protocol's too, too short of stages or they're doing too big of jumps, you know, yeah, or starting too high or whatever, you're, you're not going to get what you need. So what, just maybe do a quick rundown. What are things to look for to say, I think they, they could do a good test or boy, I should avoid this lab. I would try to, you know, figure out what kind of equipment they're using too. I mean, if, if they're using metabolic cart that is, you know, rusty, rusty, or <laughs> basically it's the, it's like a cheap fast food cart kind of thing where I mean, which there, unfortunately there are big corporate fitness chains that use me- metabolic carts that just are not up to standard. Right, so you're not going to get good information from them. Are they combining a lactate with a, with a metabolic cart? Are they just doing a metabolic cart with one that's not really, you know, that's sub, one with one that's substandard? Other than that, you'll want to look at, um, yeah, how like how long are the stages? Are they, you know, if they're doing sort of just three minute stages and ramping you up right away, that might just not be long enough to understand how your body responds to each workload. Right. And then even the lactate readings that you're getting are representing the stage prior, not the current stage. So that's important. Uh, Two big jumps, you know, where you have somebody, I'm not going to give somebody who's maybe dealing with um, 30, 40 excess pounds that they're trying to lose, or I'm not going to give them the same stage increases that I would give somebody who um, is, you know, like yourself, who's, you know, the long and, you know, endurance rider who's got a lot of miles under their, right. under their legs. So, yeah, so that's going to be um, important. I think, you know, making sure that you're, that the person you're working with can, is listening and hearing you, you know, and, and that's, that's really important with it, to get a good test done. Something I'm going to add to that is, if a center says they are doing X protocol, ask them for the research to back up that protocol. There is a, a ton of research on the different protocols and, and showing whether it's they're effective or not effective protocols. So hopefully these people have been doing their research and they can say, here's what's, what's backing um, the, the particular protocol that, that we have set. That said, Bear in mind, some of the protocols that are very popular for doing research studies aren't the best protocols for figuring out what's going on with you as an athlete. So don't, often what people do is contact their local university, which quite often universities have really good labs and they know what they're doing. But don't be afraid to say to them, here's the protocol I would like to do versus the protocol that they might necessarily be used to for the research. Yeah, yeah, because it could be, I think a common protocol that research is, is a three minute test. And I personally feel like, you know, just from doing this testing as many as I've done, it's a little bit too short to really I understand. Agree. Right. And four minutes gets closer. I, I love my five minutes, <laughs> but I'm by, you know, am I biased? I just, I've understood a lot from my five minute protocol and I've got a chance to do a lot of, is it research? I've just, I've 
got a chance to look at a lot of tests in the last you know, several years. And I feel like I really get useful information from, from my uh, protocol. Yeah. I, when I lived up in Canada, the protocol was three minutes with 30 watt increments. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can tell you my threshold on that protocol was about 80 watts higher than what you determine my threshold mm -hmm. um, using five minutes with, with me, it was 25 watt increments. And as much as I would love mm -hmm. to say the, the protocol up in Canada was right, the fact of the matter is the numbers you've come up with match much more closely with to real life. where I train. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for. We want to give you really useful, useful information from the lab that you can apply out there on the road. So much like when you go to the doctor, there are certain things that make a good patient. I wonder if there are certain things in this context that make a good subject, things that they should think about or do to prepare for this test that makes your job as the conductor of the test and the interpreter of the data better. Question. Yeah. Gosh. So, you know, a couple things is when you come in for a test, you know, come in rested, right? Unless you're trying to see exactly what your physiology looks like on day four of a, you know, trans Rockies mountain bike stage race, mm -hmm. really, all we're going to see is you in a tired state. So, so, so come in, come in rested, come in with, um, you know, don't, don't load up on, um, you know, a bunch of Fruit Loops and donuts the, you know, two hours before the test, because we're not, we're going to see zero fat metabolism. Sure. Fat metabolism is high, highly manipulable. Is that a word? I don't know. I don't think Should that's I check a word. Siri? Yeah. Anyway, you can manipulate your fat metabolism, right? If you don't, if you don't eat carbs at all for 18 hours, you want to come and see like your amazing fat metabolism capacity, then we'll see it. So eat a, eat a normal diet, but I would say maybe a lower glycemic or, you know, more complex carbohydrate, you know, a few hours before, but not nothing really high sugary or sweet. And then I'm going to see a, you know, better um, metabolic profile, be appropriately hydrated right? Come, come in with a knowledge of yourself. I mean, if you, if you have numbers like an FTP number that can help me make sure that I, I get the right, easy enough stages, mm -hmm. right? And I can, I can get a big enough glimpse at threshold. I might even look at that sort of that sort of MSSL, that sort of um, glimpse at maximum steady state lactate. If I can know where you're, um, where you feel like your best 60 minute effort is. Right. That's helpful too. It sounds like in a lot of ways, the, the person coming in to be tested wants to treat it like race day. Yeah. My only thing that I have to add, even though nobody has any control over this, please don't be a spitter. <laughs> the, the face mask has this little oh. spit collector and well, the most, so the one, my, the one that I worked with, we did. And there was nothing grosser than some people would fill it. And in the middle of the test, I had to sit there, unscrew it, which then means an unbelievable amount of spit would go all over my hands and arms. And then I'd have to screw in another spit collector. It's the most disgusting thing in the world. So but please don't be a spitter. Were you using with the mask or did you have more of the snorkel hookup where you had your nose clip and then you breathe? Yeah, we nose? had more of the snorkel. So we didn't the mask, have a mask. I think where, you know, we're, we're putting a mask over your nose and mouth 
so you can breathe out of your nose and your mouth. I think we get less of that, like needing to spit. Not, not only is the University of Colorado Sports Medicine and Performance Center top notch in terms of its staff and physiology, you're also very hygienic here. Oh yeah, <laughs> we are very good. We do, yeah. We everything gets a peroxide bath. First time I ever administered a VO2 max test was back when we had the big five foot oxygen collector. Oh, the the Douglas bags. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I couldn't remember what the name of yes. it was. Yeah, no, the, the technology has come a long way. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like the same technology, but how we the same, but how we do it is so much yeah, nicer and easier yes. and streamlined. And I guess another question that comes to my mind is, is there a preferred time of year for people to be testing? Is it going into a season when they want to dial in their zones um, so they get specific numbers when they're, you know, like, yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. Is there, a, do you see that? Um, yeah. So, so say somebody just had a competitive season, right. And they, they peaked out and now they're resting a little bit, right. It's October and, and then they're November now, like mid November, they're thinking, Hey, I want to get back on my bike. Do I want to see them now? Mm, it's a little premature, mm -hmm. right. I'd rather see them probably about four or five weeks into their um, training progression, even if they're training a little bit off, right? I'm fine with that. They, at least I get some, um, I have some endurance in our legs that sort of, they, they're going to have a feel for how they're going to respond to that, you know, progression of a test that we're going to do. And I'm not testing them with um, sort of like a hyper, in a hypersensitive state where their heart rate's going to be real volatile and real sure. jumpy because they just haven't quite got those adaptations, the adaptations they're going to get from a few, three, four or five weeks of training. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say a month, month and a half after getting back into it, as long as two months, but any longer than you, than you could possibly be wasting time, right? You don't want to waste that, um, you know, 80% of your training volume that you're trying to get right here. You don't want to have your sub threshold work be just a little bit off. I would assume that all that being said, if somebody's never had any testing done, it doesn't matter what time of year. It's good. It's a good thing for them to have because they'll give give them way more information than they've ever had before about their body, their yeah. how their level of fitness, performance, zones, all that. Yeah. I completely agree with Jared that if you just took your rest, your your fall rest sure. or your off season, you're getting back on the bike. That's not a time to get tested because all it's going to tell you is, yes, you're out of shape. <laughs> you just took a break. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. better to get some time on the bike. The other thing is if you have a target event, make sure you get tested far enough out. If you test two weeks or three weeks before the event uh, and you're not quite where you want to be the, and ask the, the tester, what can I do? The answer is going to be nothing. <laughs> yeah. There's exactly. not enough Rest. time to apply that new yeah. information. Yeah. And so I would say... Yeah, what, that's the first time I would say testing in, in a season would be a, yeah, a month and a half after getting back into riding or, you know, or consistent again. And then I would say probably between five and eight weeks out from, from, the a, target from a target event. That mm -hmm. way we can get really good substrate utilization numbers, right? And then also dial in paces. It's, um, you know, like we can figure out what's the best lactate level for someone to hold for a three-hour race. Mm -hmm. I can, I can help figure out what Watts that would be. And then, um, if we, um, or even the, the heart rate. And then if we, um, go in and you're like three weeks from the event and you're and your Watts went up, 
like by 15 watts, which is good training progression, right? Then once you're that close to the race, then you can target watts, right? Because yeah, targeting heart rate in a race, eh, you can you can overshoot in the beginning, right? And then plus um, heart rates because heart rates can be a little bit um, elevated with you know nerves, and nerves, all that adrenaline, yeah. yeah. Epinephrine, epinephrine, all those, all those hormones can raise heart rates. But yeah, I would say, yeah, seven to eight weeks out or f- five to eight weeks out would be awesome. And then, you know, maybe one time in the season where we know that we're kind of close to peak fitness. So we can see, you know, basically I think two to three tests a year would be about, you know, ideal. One minute? I think so. I think we're ready for one minutes. Jared, are one you minutes? ready? I don't know. You've you never you have he is not oh not he's, no, he's a novice now we're turning the tables around on him no this is when we take all of the many thousands of tests you've ever done we've take this whole discussion we roll it into 60 seconds and you give people the essence of this episode your take homes what was the name of that dog in american flyers Eddie, right? <laughs> Maybe it was. Yeah. It Eddie? Pretend Eddie's, Eddie's chasing Eddie's you. Eddie's right? chasing you. You've got one minute to give <laughs> to your explain answer, everything. Or Eddie's going to eat you. <laughs> no. I think one of the really exciting things for me about um, doing a test, especially um, in the lab here with all my uh, equipment and, and such and my tools, is I can help people sort of understand their strengths and their weaknesses, right? And I make it my goal to to find weaknesses like where somebody's like i'm like you know what you really are doing amazing you're an amazing you know athlete and you're you're getting performances out there like your 20 minute and ftp is great and your race results are good but you know how much you're missing by not addressing this specific area where you're just you're working a little bit too hard you're not able to recover in between workouts and i mean if you're already this good think about how much better you could be if we just dialed in just right and i have the opportunity to help people find that one of my few of my biggest um, strengths as a physiologist i can help people understand how not to get in the way of themselves mm. right because training is this huge you know like intense cycle of stress rest nutrition you know recovery recovery modalities and um stressing again right and so if we can optimize that through through proper training through you know understanding how our body you know is burning calories how it's dealing with you know what kind of stress it's going through we can get the proper rest it just makes everything happen at such a higher more optimal level and we can you know just help people take you know their potential and just make it so much greater that's going to be rewarding too it, it is yeah yeah that's why one reason I, I i love my job so much is i get to yeah, help find people find their way mm-hmm. awesome trevor i know you are a huge fan of laboratory testing physiological testing you've subjected yourself to many over the years you've had people like jared poking your earlobes and your fingertips for blood you're a fan so tell us why you think everybody sh- else should be a fan of this testing. <laughs> and remember, Eddie's right behind you too. What I'm really happy to see is people are starting to understand that there is far more to an athlete than just FTP. And so I, I actually am a big fan of these, these tests where you do the one minute, the five minute, the 20 minute, and recognizing that there is a, a profile to the athlete. 
what I, I disagree with or where we haven't gone far enough is I've heard some coaches and people out there say, well, everything below threshold, we're all the same. I don't agree with that at all. I think there is a lot of subtlety. I think there is a lot of information to be found about an athlete in that profile below threshold. And that's something you can't do out on the road. And that's where, to me, you're really opening up the hood and looking at the engine. And that is why I personally, if I can, I get my athletes in for a lactate test. That's where I can really see what's going on with them and where I think we can make some of the biggest improvements. Chris? Well, one of the things that um, I don't think has been explicitly stated throughout this podcast is the fact that this is really fascinating and fun. It helps performance, yes. It gives us this data, which is important for training loads and stuff. But I think as a subject, going through this testing is incredible. It's an incredible experience. It's kind of brings your mindset about your dedication or just interest in your sport to an entirely new level. You get an understanding of the science beneath the hood. We're talking about looking beneath the hood. It's all science. It's chemistry and, and biology that's taking place. And to peek into that world is amazing. Um, and that's why I think as a subject, it's a fun experience and it's a fascinating experience. So that that's why I've really appreciated the times when I've been able to come over here and do this testing myself. That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at fastlabs.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And check out our new channel on Libsyn. Be sure to leave us a rating and a comment where you can. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash realfast.labs. On Twitter at twitter.com slash fast underscore labs underscore real. And on Instagram at instagram.com slash fast.labs. Now there are a lot of dashes, dots, underscores in there. But let's hope you keep it straight and follow us. Fast Talk is a joint production between VeloNews and Fast Labs LLC. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Jared Berg, Kieran O'Grady, Paolo Saldana, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.